Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Hill Valley by Choice. I'm your host, Nana Bangsu, President and CEO of Infinite Horizons Incorporated. We offer a unique system and methodology to help business owners stay competitive in any environment. You can reach us at www.infhorizons.com and book an appointment to learn more about our services. Don't forget to subscribe, share, and leave us a rating or a review. And also don't forget to leave us a comment on the show's Facebook community page and give us a feedback on this episode and tell us whatever topics or guests you'd like to hear from in the future. This is a special episode because this happens to be our 50th episode. And for that, uh, we have our free ebook for listeners. And it's, you can check us out at HTTPS slash slash bits.ly slash productize with a Z ebook one to download it for free. It's an ebook to help you productize and scale your service business. Now on to today's guest. My guest for today's special 50th episode is Vinay Raman. Vinay is the CEO of Carmo and helps businesses and employees unlock their hidden potential opportunities to maximize and risk to mitigate through their performance intelligence software tool. Vinay helps business leaders become better leaders and drives effective business growth. He also helps business leaders and their people live intentionally in alignment with their why and with that great mindset. Vinay, welcome to the show. And I thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Wonderful. Can we start off with your entrepreneurial background and journey? <laughs> Gosh, uh, yeah, sure. I think unlike uh, most kids who may have started talking about how they set up their first lemonade stand, as a nine-year-old, I had the stock market uh, charts that came out sort of in the financial pages. Uh, I had them on my closet. I had them every week. I would tear them down and put up the next week, and I would watch them because I knew the performance of companies had a lot to do with the numbers. It's funny that I say that because I was studying numbers when I was seven and eight years old, and my parents never really traded stocks. So my, my entrepreneurial journey started maybe back at seven, started my first company when I was uh, 17. Uh, as a 17-year-old, made made $22,000 in a summer, which is a good chunk of change for a 22-year-old. Uh, I was bitten by the bug, um, but I started to quickly realize that being successful in business has nothing to do with this right here. It has actually more to do with kind of down here, sort of in your heart and kind of where your desire to go. And the more I could unlock the desire of my heart and that of others and pair it with my head and my intellect and the intellect of others, gosh, there's real magic. So six companies later, so seven companies later, um, I think I'm starting to get, I'm starting to finally understand what I'm saying here. <laughs> that makes <laughs> sense. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure, yeah, after six or seven, you know, you kind of know your way around a little bit. Um, yeah. So could you tell us a little bit more about your current company, Carmo, and what it does? Yeah, sure. So um, I, I found, let me talk about myself. I've always found that there's really kind of two parts to me. There's the, uh, the numbers, the data, the analytics, and my background is math and computer science, artificial intelligence, machine learning, um, very numbers, data, metrics, KPIs, performance indicator centric. But there's this human side of me uh, too that has always existed. Uh, and I've, I've always seen myself as having to try to choose which one I am. Am I a people person or am I a, a numbers results person? And I think what I found myself, is that's the wrong question. <laughs> They're not two different choices. It's not like work-life balance. You don't choose work or you don't choose life. You choose both. It's m really more of how do you constantly keep 
adjusting that shifting balance because both of them are things that you have to show. So as a company, we help organizations see the data that's already in the company and how that balance is constantly adjusting in real time. Because once you can start to see that, that seesaw as it's teetering back and forth, I think that's what's really scaring. Standing in the middle of that seesaw is a very unsettled, unbalanced position to be. If I was a leader standing in the middle of that seesaw, I might feel like I'm falling down all the time. But if I could start to see that the right side is going up or the left side is going up, if the analogy is working here, I can anticipate that and I can adjust to those changes in real time. So as a company, we take the data in a company so that leaders can be more effective because they can anticipate and see those changes as they happen in real time. And you actually never really have control, but you can exert influence or change or shift your weight to be more effective. Does that does that make a little bit of sense there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, essentially, you're taking the data and then you're plotting some kind of a graph or a chart, which shows it's kind of like a, a volatility chart that you use on Wall Street or emotional sentiments, yeah. right? Yeah. And so, like, instead of saying, like, if the VIX is high, it's time to buy. If the VIX is low, it's time to go. In your case, you may have something like if the emotional graph is high, that means this. If it's low, that means that, roughly, right? Yeah, no, that's very right. I mean, before you decide to buy a stock, you don't just look at one dimension like a stock price. All right, so I want right. to, and I haven't actually looked at the price recently, but you know, if I have a Google stock, uh, hey, this thing is soaring. It's eight hundred. You know, it's a thousand, twelve hundred dollars a share. Um, some people may say, oh, if it's 1200s, that means there's lots of confidence in that share from others. I want to buy it because I think it's going to go to 1500. Some others say $1,200 is too rich for my taste. I don't want to buy any of that stock. It's too much. Even though the stock price is exactly the same at 1200, two people look at it completely differently. So you need more information to be able to make a holistic judgment as to, is this right for me or is it not right for me? What do I want in the future? Do I want long-term growth? Or do I do want a sh- short-term gain? If I'm going to put $1,200 in to get a $40, $40 gain, that's a really expensive buy. My internal rate of return is not. So you need to have a more holistic story of what's happening because you're constantly making decisions based on kind of how the, the markets are adjusting and COVID and employees and stuff shift. Does that make sense? Yeah, I imagine that really gives confidence to CEOs and the leadership team, right? Because you feel like you have your hand on the pulse as opposed to you know, having to go do some survey that takes some time to you know, gather. You got to like do a broad email blast. You say, we're going to generate to do some email survey to find an engagement, you know, use a, you know, the employee uh, net promoter score type of data and then come back. And by that time, this is more, what you do is a little bit more dynamic. Once you have the things instrumented, is that correct? Is it like yeah, in real time? You know, yeah. And I mean, I mean, how many people are out there uh, are today full-time jobs as day traders and whether that's a good choice or not. I mean, that's a, that's a whole different discussion, right? But they can only do that because they've got lots of visibility in real time as to what's happening to in the stock market. There's lots of data there. They can see lots of, uh, offline studies as to what's happening to the oil and gas industry or what's happening in the tech industry. But then they can also see all of the Airbnb and all these unicorns rising and falling in real time, right? They've got lots of data and they can have the tools to do it. What if you could have that same level of visibility in real time for your organization? That's what we do as a company, right? We give you all of those insights so that you can start to draw conclusions as a leader and say, I see what's happening here. I know where to exert my time and my influence, my attention, because where you pay attention is where you get results. So imagine in real time, if you could start to see that there's a flag going up saying, hey, my, your employees are feeling left out. Well, that's where I'm going to go spend my time and attention or not, right? That's, that's the choice for you to make. 
you're probably the right one to make the choice. You may just not have the visibility that you need to be able to do it. Yeah, no, this is this is going to be very, very powerful. And I think a lot more organizations need to know about this. Now, how does this, I don't know if it applies, are you able to use this data, you know, is leadership able to use this data to help scale and improve their business processes? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, we talked about the stock market. I mean, there's a concept in the stock market of Bollinger Bands. And basically what a Bollinger Band is, it shows, you know, if Google, Google rises from $800 to $1,200, the volatility of the stock, how much it fluctuates, how much jitter uh, there is in the stock price, because it may go to 810, then down to 804, and then to 798, and back to 820, right? There's jitter in the price. The amount of volatility of that stock tells you how solid that process is. If there's, if it, if over the course of a week, it goes 8, 800 to 810, uh, and every week it increases by 10 points, let's say 800 to 810 to 820 to 830, 840, you're starting to build a lot of confidence that that's going to go to 850, right? But over the course of three or four weeks, if it goes to from 800 to 820 down to 760, but to 820 down to you know 600 back to 1,000, you're like I don't know where this thing is going more, right? So the more jitter there is in the process, the more jitter there is in that the volatility of that stock, the less confidence you have in it. So imagine we take all this data about how your employees are performing, how your customers are employing, how processes are working within your organization. You can start to see that jitter. All of a sudden, you start to see this is a really good process because there's not a lot of variance, or this is not a good process because there's tremendous variance. So now you get to see if if this process is working without lots of noise, that jitter, this is a good process. If it's yeah. not, ah, I know what to work on. And that's where scalability comes from, is your ability to replicate the process and again and again and again. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, you know, the, uh, like Demon, um, you know, you know, says, like, basically, you, you want to have a stable process before you improve it, right? Without a stable process, you got to look at the special, whatever is the special causes for that volatility is and deal with that first before you, yeah, yeah you try to scale. Um, what are some of the challenges of using emotional data? Yeah, um, I'll tell you, for me personally, the biggest challenge with being emotional data is, first of all, I didn't, I mean, 20 years ago, Vinay didn't think that emotions were important, first of all, <laughs> right? So I came in and said, that's a bunch of hogwash. That's all woo-woo stuff. I don't really need that. But once I started to shift my, my mindset that people don't show up to do work for me, they show up to do work for their, to support their lifestyle. Then all of a sudden, I start to see, I have a perspective that emotions matter so much. It is almost of paramount importance because if that person doesn't feel good about coming to work every day, I'm not going to get maximum productivity out of them because they don't even want to be there. The emotions matter completely, right? If uh, if I've had a disagreement with my, my wife in the morning, I come to work that day, I'm a little distracted. End of story. If I had a disagreement with my mother-in-law, my neighbor, or my kids got up in the morning and made me my favorite uh, egg and cheese sandwich or whatever else it was, that may set me off on a fantastic path for that day. So being able to see the emotions in the data shows me a lot about how things are happening for my people so I can see if they're really happy today. If they are, how do I support? If they're not, how do I support? It shifts how I can support them best that day. Because um, ultimately, at the end of the day, as the leader, I'm a coach. I am a facilitator. I'm an, an, one who empowers. I don't actually do the job. They do. So seeing the emotion shows me how strong they are today, if that makes some sense. Yeah, yeah. So you can get the best out of them. Um, 
what are the elements of emotional data? If you can kind of help define a little bit, uh, we need some terminology. So what is because I mean, you know, is it is it somebody's? I don't know. What is their demographics? How do you define? Um, yeah. You know, emotional data. So consider we have two people doing exactly the same role, and I'm, I've worked with a number of companies in uh, in, in field service trade companies. So I'm going to talk about uh, a pest control company for right now. Pest control company has hired a technician to come out and spray for uh, for bugs around the house. Right? They, people don't want bugs coming into their house, and you live close to woods, so you want you, you don't want uh, ants, you don't want spiders, you don't want cockroaches inside your house. Okay. So we have two people who come to that same exact role. One person is an introvert. One person is an extrovert. They're just going to operate differently just by virtue of one person likes talking to people. One person, one person gets energy from talking to people. Other person does not get so much energy, right? So if I can see the introvert uh, because their productivity is very good, technically they're solid. So they're, um, their ability to do the service right the first time is very high right? Their ability to make it on time to the appointment is very high, but their net promoter scores, their customer service scores are very low. Hold on. They're very good at their effectiveness as a technician, but their scores are low. Why? Because they're uncomfortable with talking to people. They're, that's just not their personality. So now as a leader, I can say, ah, it's because they're a little more introverted. So now I can say to them, hey, let me give you three questions to ask each one of your customers before you leave. First of all, did, did you did you know that I'm done? And they said, no. Well, let me walk you through what I just did. I did this, this, and this. Uh, do you have any questions for me? Uh, no, actually, that was a fantastic explanation because they're so good at their job. Um, and if I send a survey in your direction, would you be uh, willing to give me an answer on that? Uh, give me a positive response on that? Yeah. All of a sudden, that net promoter score jumps to the roof because the introvert didn't know how to do that. You can see that in the emotion of the graph, right? Alternatively, if you have someone who's an extrovert, you can see that their net promoter scores, their uh, customer service scores are fantastic, and they're spending a lot of time on site, and they get lots of referrals for new jobs because they love having conversations. But their efficiency scores and their callback scores, not so good. So technical stuff, not so good, but very gregarious, right? We can impart to them how, why it's important to do well at getting the job done and maybe how to curtail some of those conversations, but still have that relationship with your customer. Two people, same exact role, but different personalities. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of want to drill a little bit. Like, you know, how, what determines, how do you know somebody's an introvert? What kind of data set, you know, informs you uh, or needs to be put together? I mean, because, I mean, obviously there's some proprietary algorithm, but I'm just saying that, you know, within a company, so without doing any, unless you have to like do some kind of uh, survey to gather some data, I'm, I'm trying to think of within a company, what data elements, you know, whether it's, um, whether it's within even HR, within even the normal cause of, you know, timesheets and stuff like that, that you can pull that will inform you if somebody's an extrovert or an introvert or, you know, whatever the emotional state is. Yeah. So, um, I'll, I'll tell you the secret. That's not the secret here. Uh, you don't actually need any surveys. You don't need any employee experience assessments. You don't need any of that stuff. The data that you already have in the company, mm -hmm. if presented, most people look at those as spreadsheets. You can't see that in spreadsheets. When you start to see them, we use radar graphs or spider charts, which are radial kind of radial uh, charts where each line is a different axis, right? I'd be more than happy to provide an example if people want to see it. When you start to see that, the emotions actually start to come out by themselves. And let, let me let me tell you where I learned to see this. 
I'm a little bit of a car nut. So I love reading about cars because I like going out to the racetrack. How do you compare a Porsche 911 versus a Chevy Corvette? They're two fantastic cars, but they have different personalities. But when you put them on a radar graph where you can see that their acceleration is, is about the same, but one is fantastic on turns in terms of the G-forces that can pull. One can pull 0.98 Gs on a turn. The other one can pull 1.01 Gs on a turn. You're like, oh, wow, I'm starting to get a little bit of a sense of what is different. Acceler- uh, uh, the, the acceleration or the time, lap times that it finishes how much is the cost of the vehicle? What uh, what what are the braking? Pro- uh, the Corvette can you know goes from zero to sixty in one hundred and twenty one feet, but the Porsche does one hundred and six feet. Wow, you're starting to see dimensionality of this Porsche and this Corvette already. How they're different vehicles, right? The data is already there. It's how you present it that is making it difficult to see the emotion. It's it, it's already it's kind of like ragu sauce. It's already in there. <laughs> right, right. That's that's interesting. That's amazing. Do you focus on specific industries, or do you like open to all industries? Uh, yeah, I've been asked that question a lot. Uh, we went laser focused on an industry just because they have lots of remote employees because we saw that there was a massive need to be able to manage, I mean, even just in the last three years, being able to manage employees remotely. How do you know that they're being productive and you can't watch over their shoulder? Because they're out in a vehicle servicing your customer that you may never actually touch. So we focused in there. But what what we found over time is as we we started working with insurance carriers, we started looking with medical providers, um, it doesn't matter. The emotion is already built into the data in how you can holistically see that picture of that human because what you'll start to find is that if you have 10 employees in a particular role, there's an average for what all of them do. Here's what they all do about the same, okay? But then you'll start to see that Jack has got this talent and Sally's got this talent and Kenny has got this talent and uh, Susie has got this talent, right? You'll start to see the individual superpowers of each one of those because they naturally perform well. And that's where the emotions come into play. You see where they have an affinity and where they don't. And that's where you can start to see the frustration the angst, the anxiety, but also the joy and the, the happiness. Now, I want to pivot back to performance. So, you know, you mentioned your your early introduction to the stock market. Now, I know that the emotional graphs can be used by the leaders and the CEO to manage uh, the organization. What about, is, is there like some predictive quality to it? Can you use that to predict based on trends, which company, because you, you know, for example, you compare it as an example, the Porsche 911 to the Corvette, can you take two or three different companies, look at the emotional graph and be able to predict like in three or five years time, this person's going to come, this company's going to come out on top or the other? Yeah. So let me me kind of talk about a pathway here. So once I make sort of that bridge in that pathway, then I think you'll start to see how predictive it can be, right? So a lot of people take a look at data and, and that is the facts. That is the truth of what has happened. But data is historical, right? It only looks backwards and kind of shows you if every, nothing changes, this is exactly how things are going to go, right? So, but in and of itself, data is already predictive in the sense that it shows you what pattern is occurring, right? Now, on the other side of the spectrum, we have the narrative that exists in the mind of the leadership or and even in the employees, right? This is where I'd like to take it. So we have this pattern and trend that's occurring, and we have this um, narrative or desired outcome that we have in the leaders. The bridge between them is the storytelling. Being able to see that data saying, am I, in, am I seeing how this story evolves where I get to this outcome? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A, lot, a, lot of, a lot of people want to be effective leaders and they say, I have this desire and I've got to push people to do this, but they can't see how where they are today is going to get them there, right? And what steps they're taking 
are leading them in that direction. They want to go to the top of the, the Mount Everest, but you took a flight to Paris. Well, you're not going to get to Mount Everest, <laughs> right? Because yeah. the data, it hasn't happened. So in that regard, if you design design and des understand what the why is, the purpose the narrative, is, you can see how the data will allow you to achieve that narrative. So you can constantly tweak and tune what is happening in behavior to achieve the narrative and the outcomes that you desire. That desire is all futuristic. So two questions. Yeah. Number one is, can you use that? Let's just say that you have an emotional graph that you're like, okay, this makes the company stable. This is what we want. Based on the mood and the, gra the graph is confirming what I as the CEO sees is, okay, we have a fairly emotionally stable uh, company. Mm -hmm. Can we use that to make sure when we recruit and when we're hiring that it gives an emotional profile for what we're looking for? Yeah. Oh my gosh. What uh, what a what an insightful question there. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so what we find is that uh, I, I talked to this one company, the chief operating officer. They've got about twenty two hundred people spread across the United States doing things for them. And I asked them. I said, Gosh, they're very seasonal. So they start hiring in March or April, and then they. It's that's it's an expected lifespan of the season till about November is when kind of they've laid all those people off. I said, man, you, in order to be able to hire 2,200 people across 140 different offices, you must have a fantastic onboarding process and a culture. And this was what was telling. He said, yeah, um, Vinay, it's actually more of kind of a complete chicken with its head cut off kind of process mm -hmm. for two and a half months. I was like, oh, my gosh, that must be an absolute nightmare because you can't actually know until two months later that somebody is on the right path because you're only looking at production numbers for that individual. Contrast that with when we're gathering this data, we know the archetype or the profile of what we want somebody to producing it who's producing well in that role. Within the first two or three days, we're already starting to see what elements that they do are doing really well, where they're very effective because they are fantastic at talking to people. So the cons already starting to do upsells to customers. Fabulous, right? That's what a good employee will do. But a good employee will also complete their jobs effectively the first time, and they're not doing so well. So within a week, we're already starting to make tweaks and tunes in the adjustment in that onboarding process. Inside of two weeks, you should know that they're already heading in that perfect uh, in towards that perfect profile. And if not, why? You can lay out those expectations before they come on board saying, this is what you're going to look like every day. And they say, well, uh, how do I know that I'm going to do well at this company? Well, let me give you the profile of, let me let you talk to three employees who are having difficulty in a role and how we gave them support. How many companies will show you that and can show you quantitative results around that? You want to talk about how you're going to get somebody to buy into your company? Show them you're going to give them not just support, the support that they need to become superstars. Yeah, that's exactly what you can do with this stuff. That's that's fantastic. Now, is there any concern, or has you know, has anybody expressed any concern that you know, just like any other tool, any other kind of data set, that it could be used for manipulation? <laughs> uh, yes, uh, that 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 question has come up. Actually, not as often as I've thought. I think um, it's come up maybe uh, maybe less than a dozen times. And the reason why is all the data. So we don't actually create any data at all because the data already exists within the organization. What we do allow is we give a set of tools or a new set of glasses for people to see that data with, okay? So for, for, so number one, we're, we're not actually inventing anything new. It's all, it already exists. And what actually often happens is, look, whether you're working for on a personal or professional level, all people just want to be seen. That's really it. 
when you start to leverage this data and you start to go to an employee and say, hey, look, I, and, and this is part of that mindset shift, right? In terms of the emotions are super important. You go to them and say, hey, Jack, I see, I see you've been here on the, in this company for three weeks now. And I, I know you've been starting to struggle a little bit with um, the, your effectiveness or efficiency at customer visits. Do you need any support there? Right? If you use it in that regard, Jack is going to lean forward three weeks in, still enamored with the company, still excited to be a brand new person and say, yeah, I got a couple of questions. Who do I ask for help? Right? They're actually going to love it. They would love having that level of attention and support. And that's what we've started to find a lot is that we thought that a lot of employees very early on would be very scared. Oh, big brother. Actually, they're absolutely loving the fact that their management is actually leaning into them and giving them specific tailored support, not for everybody, for them. Uh, we've actually got most managers and employees coming back to us saying, "Can what, what else can you tell us about us? <laughs> Yeah, that's 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 fantastic. So, I mean, just you know, just you know, within the you know maybe a minute or two, can you make the case for why companies that are not looking at emotional graphs and empathy graphs, why they should be you know getting there like today, not wait till tomorrow, or they should add it to the arsenal? Uh, let me start with some numbers. I worked with one. I worked with one company. It's got eighty-seven employees. We put them into our system. Very quick analysis. We found found seventeen of those eighty-seven employees were highly effective and the other 70 were not. Mm. And we found if they could take specific steps with each one of those 70 employees to make them highly effective, they were making $139,000 a day today as a company. And in those 70, if they moved them up to that highly effective range was another $40,000 a day, which is about a 29% lift in revenue, right? Massive number, right? Yeah. And that's the number we usually see is between 20 and 30% lift that is being left on the table today. And all that's required is to give you the roadmap to how to unlock it. It's already there. And I told them, so you're a $39.5 million company that's disguised as a $30 million company. Are you guys okay with that? <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a good uh, business case. Because one of the, I mean, and, and that's a huge, you know, 20 to 30%, because not too many, the percentage of companies that are able to grow their revenues, like for that amount, you know, per year is actually quite low. I think it's like you know, 10% of, of Something like that is, is very low. So that's a huge uh, ROI business case for, for your tool. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. And, Any, and yeah, go ahead. If I could add one last piece is consider that 29%. The cost for that 29% are mostly variable costs as opposed to fixed costs. Those fixed costs are already already been born. So not only is that 29% more revenue, it's highly profitable revenue. It's all it the costs, I mean, rent is already born. The cost of the vehicles, the cost of the software, it's already been born by that, that $30 million company, right? So that extra $9 million sitting on the table is highly profitable stuff. Yeah, and your your software is, is cloud-based and and is this something, do they need to install anything? Do you know, what does the, the, the engagement look like? You know, just, you know, if you guys can do it in about in a minute or less. Yeah, sure. Uh, so uh, there's three ways they can get data to it. So it is completely cloud-based so they can access it via the web or mobile phone uh, or tablet. Uh, they essentially can send us CSVs if they would like to do that, and we just ingest that automatically. We can tap into APIs, so that's uh, so that it's completely automated. That up setup process probably takes anywhere from two to six weeks, depending on how complex they want to do it. But after six, two weeks, six weeks, it's completely automated. That's it, and there's no change to the culture or processes. It just starts working and spitting out these behavioral graphs. Yeah, just and just real quick for the uh, for the purpose of people that may not be talking, API is the application programming okay. interface that allows two different systems to talk to each other. It's like a key that allows two doors to open to each other. So that's uh, right. 
Thank you so very much, Vinay. This was great and awesome. It went by kind of fast. How can people get in contact with you if they want to learn more about Carmo or follow you personally? Yeah, uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, so uh, you can follow me on LinkedIn. Vinay Raman uh, is the is my name or my company is Carmo, C-A-A-R-M-O. Or you can email me directly if you'd like, uh, V-I-N-A-Y at C-A-A-R-M-O dot com. Uh, reach out. If I can help you on your journey, I'd love to help. This is I think it's the right thing to do for people, not uh, not just for my 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 purposes. Yeah, and people can actually give it like a try. Is it like a free trial if you'd be curious about it? Um, yeah, absolutely. There's there's actually a bunch of assessments. We just finished one called an employee and uh, priority alignment assessment. If we can start to show you how we can give you a clarity score for your organization, so you can see from senior management always to the kind of the people who just started the junior level folks, um, how much clarity there's in the organization. That alone will give you so much visibility into where you need to focus on building uh, steps towards the for the vision you want to execute on, and it's and it's a it's a three minute assessment. Wonderful. Well, again, thank you very much, and so next week, bye for now. Thank you. Mm-hmm.